The Koi Gig Pod. I'm laughing because I was listening to a conversation that the City Girls were having and they were just going on about this throw-in. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's our weapon in the World Cup. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB GAA. Welcome to the Mike Quirk Podcast. Now give me my theme music. This series is brought to you with the help of PST Sport. PST Sport is a design and build specialist contractor focusing exclusively on the design and construction of artificial grass pitches and supporting infrastructure for soccer, GAA, rugby, hockey and tennis. PST's portfolio includes over 50 FIFA certified artificial grass pitches as well as multiple pitches tested and approved for World Rugby, GAA and FIH standards. PST Sports have done over 500 artificial grass pitches for clubs, schools, colleges and local authorities in Ireland and the UK for all different sporting codes. Visit pstsport.com for more details. Okay, so Tony Griffin, I suppose I've started this one again, Tony, as a a kind of a fundraiser for a, a a more local charity. Last time I would have done it for Temple Street. This time I'm doing it for an organization called Recovery Haven. They're they're based in Tralee and they provide kind of free cancer support services for, for yeah. people all over Kerry and beyond, really. So Good uh, on you, Mike. what I'm asking people to do, I suppose, is if they find a bit of value in, in the episodes and they get something out of it, that you know, there'll be a there'll be a fundraising page attached to this that they'll find the the, the link in the in the podcast description and they mm-hmm. can go and contribute some some couple of euros to that or whatever. Okay. So um that's first of all i suppose the the main the main yeah. part of it and then the other part of it is obviously can we can we maybe scratch a little bit below the surface of, of mm. the whole coaching idea and, and help people to do it a little bit better and mm. an impact on 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 the kids and, and adults that they're they're involved with i suppose so i'm delighted to get you on man i'm absolutely absolutely thrilled i've got i've got other guys who are going to be looking at the nuts and bolts of different games and different things so so you're probably a guy that people don't know a huge amount about i don't know a huge amount about in terms of of coaching um so we probably should start there man really how how uh how did you get into this kind of idea of coaching and performance coaching tone probably due to my own uh, you know it's funny some of the things you get involved in you don't really know how you got involved in you just you're in them and you don't actually like i just have always been interested in human nature and always interested in I suppose i started with my own playing career like i always felt that you know, I'm talking 2000, I come on the Clare panel. I remember being like 11 stone weight and Jerk Nan saying to me, you know, tell your mother to give you a second dinner. That was the extent <laughs> of the strength and training conditioning, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went home to my mother and said, you might make me a second steak. And, you know, after around a month of my stomach being in bits, I remember going to nutrition. She says, you do know you're highly allergic to red meat. And I was like, what? <laughs> Jeez. So my, like, it's it was rudimentary, but. In 2003, I was playing hurling in Boston for a summer and I was kind of working painting as, as you do and stuff. And I was on the way and there was this construction site and they were throwing books out of a window of a house or clearing a house. And there was a skip there and it was, swear to God, almost hit me in the head. It was the essentials of strength training and conditioning. And it was this like college book was around that width. And I just picked it up and I became fascinated in the sports psychology section to it. And and so when I came back, I decided to leave the job I was in and go to back to university in Nova Scotia. And I did a what's called human kinetics, 
which was basically looking at sports from and human movement from all different directions. So some guys went on to work for Nike, being bi- bi- mechan- biomechanists. Some went into working with Canadian Olympic teams in sports psychology. And um, and I came back and kept playing hurling with Claire. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, different direction. <laughs> different direction. But, but uh, it was then I really, for the first time, was exposed to coaching. So like I worked... I helped out in the mental skills. It was my first mental skills job with the varsity basketball team. And they were like, they were trying to be break into the top five in Canada and did. And they and they were really interesting because the coach, the first time I actually thought about coaching as something you could train to do or learn to do, that it wasn't mm-hmm. just something the guys I knew made it up as they went along, you know, which I suppose a lot of coaches do. But um, so how, to answer your question, long roundabout way, I think that I've got into working with people and coaching is just an environment. Sports coaching is one environment where people are present. And so I'm drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Nova Scotia. There wasn't probably too many clear hurlers over in Nova Scotia at that stage. Yeah. What, uh, what, was, what was that whole experience like for you? You know, I left, I was working as a pharmaceutical rep and it was, a, my friends were working in ExtraVision and like uh, those of you who can remember ExtraVision and uh, <laughs> You know, they were working in the local statoil. And uh, here I was, a medical rep, a car, and age 21, and all the trappings of a decent job. So I left that, and I, it was it was a brave decision when I look back, because I went to Canada, didn't know anyone, knew one person, and uh, just made my way. But it was great, because I, like, I worked in the ice hockey rink at night to earn a few dollars. So I did all the cleanup, and, and I'd be watching the ice hockey team training and then the varsity volleyball team training upstairs. And like, I was the guy washing their laundry. That's that's the truth. I had a massive tumble dryer. I'd go into the dressing room walking around. And like, it was funny because I'd overhear them, especially the hockey guys. They were saying, oh, there's going to be 500 at the game on Friday night. And I'd be laughing my head off because in three weeks, I was going to back to play Kilkenny in a league game where there's going to be probably 30,000. Yeah, yeah. And here I was like going around washing the laundry, not saying anything, just t- just picking up clues. But great experience. I, I did all my, my kind of, I chose a lot of psychology subjects. And so it was fascinating for me. A whole new world opened up and 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 it's I needed it. I thought the world was hurling and clear and it definitely isn't. And were you still traveling back at that stage, Tony? I know we're probably going off on a tangent here, but were you were you traveling back for playing yeah. games at that stage? Every three weeks. So like we'd have a league <laughs> game. And sometimes twice every sometimes every two weeks, because we'd have league games. Now some of them fell well because it fell around midterm break and that, but yeah, every three weeks I do an eighteen-hour round trip from Halifax to Toronto, Toronto to Heathrow, Heathrow to Shannon. Yeah, on a Saturday morning, get in the Saturday morning, sleep all day, maybe make a, make it to the pitch Saturday evening, but play Sunday. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, and 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 how long were you doing that for? Four years. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the years, like my father died in two thousand and five, <clears> and. <throat> Like I had been back in November to see him. He worked in the building sites and he, he died from asbestosis. So like mm-hmm. asbestos. So, you know, it's funny, Mike, looking back, you know, a friend of mine in Dublin says, denial isn't just a river in Egypt. Um, like we were in such denial that he was dying, but he was like, and so I went back to finish my Christmas exams. Oh, five. We're just about to go in to sit. One of my sister rang to say he had died. And it was such a shock because you know, it's the kind of thing where it's the kind of call you never think about getting. And so you don't know how to make sense of it when you do. So obviously I flew back for the funeral, but <clears throat> I had six brothers and sisters and they were all around his bedside, you know, so there was a lot of guilt there. But I just stayed that year. I, I postponed college and I hurled full time. 
and Anthony Daly was manager. And when we get into it, like talking about good coaches, he knew I, I needed to stay and then he knew I needed to go and he was brilliant. So that was probably the best years hurling I ever played because I was full time at it, really. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned your dad, Jerome. You you and I, and we will get into Anthony Daly and the rest of the coaching stuff. And I just I like some of this stuff, Tony. I don't know you. Obviously, <clears throat> people will know. Obviously, your, your your association with Kerry this year. That was the first time I would have met you. So I, I I'm finding out some stuff here um, <laughs> for the first time as well, which is interesting. But the cycle across Canada, Tony, that was obviously related to mm. to your, your your dad and 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 raising money for 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 um, cancer research and different things. Will you just give us a little kind of insight? into that because that's obviously a very fascinating kind of thing that most people don't take off and, and just do in the middle of a, a hurling career or football or whatever you know yeah like it's interesting I was giving a talk somewhere recently and someone asked me about how you make decisions and I said it's funny I think we think we're doing life but I think life is doing us you know we're being done and the cycle was fascinating because you know I played hurling that full year in 05 won the all-star went back but the night I got the All-Star I knew I, I wasn't going to be playing no, in 07 because I knew that I was going to do something I just didn't know what it was and it transpired I sat down a few weeks later and there was a documentary on Canadian television about Terry Fox now a lot of people aren't haven't heard of Terry Fox but he, if you get if you go to Canada and you get a Tim Hortons coffee in your change would be Tim Hortons face Tim Hortons was in his early, early sorry Tim Hortons say Terry Fox he was in his early 20s got cancer, lost half his leg. So he had a like a, a very, very basic prosthesis. And he decided to run across Canada to raise awareness that cancer was a young person's disease as much as anyone else's. And I think he got 21 days in and he had to he had to stop the cancer had spread. But for 21 days, he ran a marathon a day on a, on a one leg and a stump. And in the evenings, he had to stop and a doctor had to bandage his knee because the blood was streaming out of out of his um his wounds. So he stopped in a place called Thunder Bay, Ontario. And I remember watching that mic and going, holy shit, what are we actually capable of if we put our mind to it? Mm. And then I just looked across the room, there's a map can on the wall, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something across Canada and raise money for where daddy was in the hospice. And then I said, well, why don't I cycle it? And I, I, I said to my two roommates when they came in from the, the pub, and uh, they said, are you mad? You know how big Canada is? It's not like Ireland. And um, I said, but look, surely you break it down and you just do it. And uh, so the following morning, I woke up and I rang home full of beans. And at home, they weren't, fa- let's say they weren't waving the go-go, go-go Tony <laughs> flags. They were like, that's nuts. Like, that's that's actually not a great idea. You need to go and see someone. But I, I went into the exercise physiology lab this, that day and there was a guy called Dr. Stephen Chung. And I said, Stephen, you're an exercise physiologist. Is this possible? He said, you five months. It's going to be it's going to be difficult, but I'll, I'll train you. And so we started, I think the next day, he put me into a lab and a little bike and I started. And Mike, it was the most incredible experience because, you know, some people might know this and some people won't, but the, you remember Lance Armstrong, the fellow that won all those tours with a little bit of help. Um, he heard about it in the grapevine and invited me down to Texas and I, I remember being in his house in Austin and standing in the kitchen and saying, how did this happen? A few weeks later, how did this actually all happen? And I'm looking out the window and there's a beautiful black Mustang. And I said, Lance, that's a gorgeous car. Where'd you get that? He said, oh, Shania, uh, uh, Shania got me that. Shania Twain, his, uh, his girlfriend at the time. So it was a mad experience because it all happened very really quickly. And the cycle itself was, was, I didn't expect how hard it was going to be, you know, but it was magic because People came out on the road like 
woman, one woman dying with cancer came out and waited on the side of the road for like five hours just to say well done, you know. And that was it. Not every day, but every second day. Somewhere, someone came out to meet me or flagged me down in the middle of the prairies to say, I've read about you in the local news. And so I met my wife on the last day of it. You know, it raised right. 1.1 million. You wow. Know, it was magic. It was magic. 1.1 million. Yeah. And I suppose in a lot of ways, it just it just caught on. I don't know what it was about it. Um, it just caught on. And, you know... <clears throat> It wasn't exactly the easiest process. It probably did end my hurling career because I went back, but I was never the same. I kept tearing my hamstrings badly. And the year after, like, I'm I'm comfortable talking about it now, but I wasn't for a long time. The year after, I had a breakdown because I just I just didn't. I was overwhelmed with the physical feat, the, the mental exhaustion. Like, it's harder to give away a million euro than you think. Like, everyone was calling to the house. It just was overwhelming. And then obviously I had to go back and take double classes because I postponed a lot of them and it just all came on top of me. So, right. you know, I spent a year just digging myself out, out of, out of a hole really. And right. again, you learn so much about yourself when you're in those environments. Yeah. It's ama- amazing stuff. You find out when you are digging yourself out of a hole. Yeah. Though, yeah. Go, this is Lance Armstrong one for a second. He actually gave you the bike. Was that the bike that you, did he give you a bike or something? Did I read that somewhere? He gave me two and one, we, um, one I cycled on. Um, and I still have it out in the, the hall there. And the other one, I did the cyclone. And the other one, he's at the end, we use it as a backup bike because we had a crash once and we realized we need a second bike. So I emailed him and said, Lance, can you sort us out for a second one? And like Trek, he said, Trek will have it in the next city. So I think that was our Calgary. Um, but he signed that at the end and we auctioned it at a, at a dinner. Like, this is like just as the Celtic Tiger was about to crash. And uh he signed it a builder bought it for 15 grand and it went into hospice yeah Jeez, yeah it's amazing a builder is probably sorry now but anyway that's that's but you won't believe this one but it was actually stolen from the hotel that night by some someone working in the hotel so builder never got his bike oh, but for him, he still paid for it <laughs> that's typical of the celtic tiger as well <laughs> so uh tony we, we we'll start to get into a little bit i suppose just in terms of coaching, like your your role, not even, and this is obviously not specific to Kerry or any teams that you've been mm-hmm. with. It's just more of a, a generic kind of look yeah. at, you know, your your role or a title as a performance coach. And there's a lot of, I suppose people have, it's ambiguous in one way that Very people, so. you know, they can't put you into a box or, or whatever. Yeah. What What is that kind of title in a sports context? What, what does that mean to you? Well, I think you nailed it. It's very ambiguous. <clears throat> and if you look at, at SAGA, performance coaching has been put on it, but I think that kind of is, it does an injustice to the rest, the rest of the group because you're a performance coach. Um, Paddy Talley is a performance coach. Jack is the ultimate performance coach because he's managing the coaching group. So in some ways, I think this term is going to stick, but it's too broad and it's too undefined. So mm-hmm. teams go and get a performance coach, but they don't actually stop and think, well, what's the need of the team? What are we actually going to get? So, in, in terms of the roles I've played with the Dublin Hurlers and then Kildare Footballers and Kerry, <clears throat> it's very much around. For me, it's about the group dynamic, first and foremost. I really believe, like I worked in schools with teenagers for eight, nine years. And one thing I learned is like the the, the environment, and there's lots of ways of talking about this, psychological safety, et cetera, et cetera. But the environment the player or athlete uh, lives within is really underestimated usually. It's just, it's taken for granted that it will allow them to flourish and, and produce their best stuff and feel secure enough to do so. So a big part of my work would probably be how do we make this environment 
an environment like you're with 30 of your closest, closest friends that you could, you feel safe to be whoever you want to be because that's when our best stuff comes out. So that's one part of it, the environment and the dynamic and the culture. And then the second is just the actual mental condition, mental training of the players or athletes. Like what type of person are they? What, what's their personality type? Are they an introvert? Are they an extrovert? How do they, uh, when they're under threat, how do they re- respond and how can we then ultimately get them to be, have a growth mindset that's like so open to just developing their game. And, 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 and it really, for me, a lot of it comes down to belonging and fear. Um, Mike, like how, how much they feel they belong, like really belong and how good are they at um, playing beyond fear without fear and training that in them from a, from, a, I suppose, from a, a mindset point of view. Yeah, so it it is tough to put that stuff in a box, Tony. Oh, and and then on top of that, you've guys ringing you who are in crisis, who are, you know, they're going through a difficult time at work. They have a parent going through chemotherapy. You know, they've a they've a they've an uncle who's drinking hard, and it's affecting the home. They themselves might be challenged with an addiction, or you know, I've worked with teams where guys are um, haven't come out yet, and they're living with that. So. There's a lot going on that's that's that strays into realms of counselor. I'm not a counselor, but you are definitely you're an ear. Um, and a lot of guys they're thinking about their place in the team. And you and I would have been like this and say, I'm not playing the weekend. What's going on? And they start telling themselves a story. <clears throat> so then they come to you with that story and you and you help them, you know, pull that apart a little bit. So it's it's broad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Broad is is right. You you mentioned a couple of things, and is, I, I know I'm, I'm conscious. I'm looking away here, and I'm just oh, good, like I, notes. I'm not a. I'm in my own world here, Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a couple of a couple of things like like you mentioned culture, and yeah. and culture is something. And again, I'm conscious, Tony, here that this isn't going to be just listened to by people who are involved with um, senior intercounty teams or or higher level sports. It's also going to be listened to coaches from under eights and and under tens or twelves, boys, girls, basketball, rugby, soccer. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, like. How, how how can, you know, when you talk about culture and culture is a real buzzword now in, in every organization, businesses, sport, everything. Yeah. But the idea of developing a really positive, healthy, productive culture within any organization or team, what, what are some of the things that you kind of look for there to, to try and develop to, to help that along? Well, for and, and by the way, I love what you do on for young people and kids and children and helping the adults understand what, what it's actually all about. Um, so in terms of that, like I'm learning as I go here as well, but like if sometimes we need to personalize things to understand them, like if coaches were reading this, they, they operate in many cultures. So there's a culture in their home. There's a culture in their dynamic with their partner. If they're, if they're in a relationship, there's a culture in their workplace, culture in their team. There's a culture with the lads when they meet their best friends, they're all cultures. And the question is in which do you feel you can be yourself and in which are you the best version of yourself? And by that, I mean, I don't mean you're perfect. I mean, you you you, you feel in tune and aligned to who you feel you are. You know, you feel like you could, you, you've no barriers up. So in work, you might have barriers up for, because you're professional and you're, you know, and you might have a different culture with your boss and you, with your peers in work. Mm-hmm. But where are you at your best? That's what you're trying to create for the team you're coaching. Yeah. That's exactly what you're trying to create. That sense of, Everyone here can be myself. So like sometimes I go in, I ask a few questions on purpose at the start to see what's the what's the culture like? How comfortable are guys speaking? Do they look around before they speak? And if they do, then they don't, there's, there isn't a high level of, of security or safety. 
So for coaches, whether it's under fours or seniors, your culture is how comfortable a guy, for me anyways, it's many things, but one thing it is, is how comfortable is a guy to use his voice, speak up, um, show who he is, all of that stuff. And, and, and how fun is it? How much fun is their environment? How much ease is there? Is it tense? Because then performance is going to be um, decreased. Or is it loose and open? And then performance is going to be be, uh, be better. And and for people, Tony, like that's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much in cultures of it, like your your title, your performance. Yeah, there's so much in it. It is relatively ambiguous and people people throw it out there so often now about it was a good culture. If you win something, you have a great culture. Yeah. So you, you can also have a very good culture and maybe you don't win, but you yeah, just didn't right. get over the line or whatever. But that idea of, a culture, you know, allowing or, or an environment, an environment where it allows people to be at their best is is probably a, a, a fairly a fairly decent kind of a working definition, I suppose. But in terms of getting to that point, Tony, like for for you know for coaches of of kids that are you know teenagers or whatever, minors or even seniors, how do you how do you get to that point? What are what are some of the things that people can do to you know develop and promote a kind of a positive culture within the group? So you're right, like it's 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 multifaceted. And with kids like young, and I know you to ask about teenagers in particular, but <clears throat> with with young, young kids, all, all we want to do is give them a place where they feel they belong, mm-hmm. like they feel joy. And I, I sometimes think about this everywhere in young kids' life, and, and it's like how far they're in the rabbit hole. Do you want to go on this one? But everywhere in a young kid's life, there's structure and order. School, there's structure and order. They're told what to do. Um, and especially if a lot of research tells us young boys aren't meant to sit that long. Um, and young girls aren't either, but especially young boys and, and kids who are full of energy. So they're made sit and do what's told there. Then they come home and there's a lot of rules in most homes. There has to be for the home to function. Where else in their life do they get times to just be free and be wild and be creative? Now, maybe they play music or play, the, maybe, but usually if they're going to music lessons, it's structured. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're going to drama, it's structured. Mm-hmm. And I often think that if we woke up and realize the opportunity training isn't a Friday night for stuff to be for them to be let loose, then they will want to come there next Friday night. So I see my own son, he's seven, he goes to up to football. The coaches are brilliant. And sometimes while they're setting up drills, I, I watch the kids. The kids go like it's almost like, oh, we're, we're off the clock. And they just they're all there's crack and, and then they go back. And I was thinking to myself, where like we vote with our heart. We vote. We go with our heart. Where do kids feel the most joy and the most sense of belonging and the most fun? That's where they're going to go. Mm. And what happens is over the years, they now to get to teenagers, the place they feel the most belonging, the most fun, the most sense of I can be myself is with their peers. All the research shows this. It's that they our brains become hardwired at that age. There's changes taking place that want they we want to be with people our age. Um. But what happens is if we, we haven't given them a place where they can go, which is positive, they go to places with their peers that are negative, you know, and we've all done it. It's drinking in the field. It's doing all that stuff. Or now it's drugs in the field or whatever. But that's where I think we underestimate the importance of, of coaching at kids' age, of the environments at children's age, seven, six, seven, eight, for it to be the best place in their life to come. So as a coach, how do you create that? Well, first of all, don't take it so seriously. Like, I know it's serious. Jesus, I know you want the under sixes to reflect well on you by doing well, but then it's about you. Like, make it a place where it's the best place in their life to come. 
Now, how do you do that? Well, if you're someone that, that that's not your nature, you're, you're kind of an A-type personality and you want high performance, maybe you shouldn't be coaching kids unless you're willing to do the inner work to relax on a Friday night. And when you stop and you, when you turn the car off on a Friday, you say to yourself, why am I here? Oh, I, I'm here for them. What do they need most? They need a little bit of structure because they, they want that, but they also need space to breathe and have fun here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an environment that kids will want to come back to. They'll vote with turning up. It's funny. I, I actually put up, there was a video there uh, recently of, of this little girl playing soccer. I know it was over in the States or whatever. And she was doing a drill and she wasn't hugely proficient at kicking a ball and she kicked the ball and, and she went back to the back of the line. And as she went back to the back of the line, she started doing a couple of stands or somersaults or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, someone had that line about everyone, everyone, uh, what what is it again? If you if you if you ask a fish to climb a tree, yeah, you know, yeah. he's going to think he's stupid mm-hmm. or whatever. But it, it, it's a bit it's a bit of that. It's about allowing them to play and and to be free and to enjoy it and have fun. And it sounds really easy, but there's actually there's actually a lot of work in in creating that kind of an environment, as you say. Yeah, there is, and and a lot of the work on the coach's behalf very often is on the, is on themselves. They need to be brave enough to go up the field and whatever night they're trying to say Friday night and say okay. This is going to look like I have this thing under control, but I'm wise enough to know that I'm playing the long game here. Mm-hmm. A number of these young guys are A-type athlete personalities. They're going to still be here in four or five years because they want it. And I'll send them up the age groups when they're more ready for that serious structure. But I'm going to keep a lot of the other kids here because it's good for us. It's good for our community. It's good for all of them. And it, and that's a life well lived by mm-hmm. making sure that young girl that does the pirouettes does her pirouette. Mm-hmm. Because she reminds us all that it's the importance of self-expression. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't soft and woolly and like, because I know some people listen to this and they go, yeah, but I, I'm trained under sixes. I don't want them all acting the Egypt. Yes, you do. <laughs> because if they're acting the Egypt here, that means they're comfortable with you. And that's a compliment to you. And the more you do that, the more they'll be here at eight, 10. When this starts getting serious and they will get serious about it, you won't have to inform you know, impose that on them like the one thing i learned from teenagers is teenagers go where they don't think they'll be judged that's why they spend so much time with their peers the the biggest nightmare for a teenager is that they'll feel judged by you so they'll only give you as much as you they think you're able for and then they'll just close down on you and like the adults that are great with teenagers are those that they take themselves lightly and and they're self-deprecating and they have a bit of a laugh with teenagers and they're you know, they're, they're in amongst it a bit and teenagers love them because that's what teenagers want. It's mm. not to not to be so self-conscious. So when they see an adult that's not self-conscious, they have major respect for them. Mm-hmm. You you wrote a book recently, Tony, kind of focusing on on that age group, teenagers and and their kind of life skills and their journey through it. What, what, like, what did you pick up in, in that kind of process of writing that book that, that obviously is relatable to, to what we're talking about? Um. So it's just come out in a second edition. It's called The Teenager's Book of Life. And I added a chapter in August on body image because it was just so prevalent. A lot of the letters and contact I was getting was about kids, that, teenagers that were suffering with eating disorders coming out of the back of the the pandemic, but also just body body image, like major obsessiveness about their body um, beyond, beyond what's healthy. But what did I learn during that process? Um, Jesus, I think I learned most of all how how oh it's almost even hard to say it how poor a job we're doing with teenagers mike mm. like they say that um is an african proverb and i love it because it's so true and um, if young people don't feel the the warmth of the village they'll burn it down to feel it and um 
and and I think we're seeing a lot of teenagers burning down villages and and burning down themselves. You know, getting caught up in drugs, getting caught up in, um, just getting caught in open behaviors that aren't that aren't healthy. Because I think as adults, we're we've taken our eye off the ball on that age group and realized that um, they they need guidance. They need elders to almost bring them through that that period of life where things can go wrong quickly for them. Um, and and that and that's one thing I learned is because the amount of people that got on to me about the book, teenagers saying like, "I wish I'd read this years ago." The amount of grandparents that read it and stopped yeah. like because I I self publish it, so I'd be packing the shelves and duns with the book. We're all over the country during the year on the way to carry train and stopping in Port Leash to pack the shelves of, <laughs> of, of the stand. And uh, and the amount of grandparents said, you know, I wish I'd read this when I was a parent or I wish I'd read this when I was 15. Because it just, it's a reminder to teenagers that uh, of the, all the things that maybe us adults aren't reminding them of about life. Interesting, man. Yeah. And 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 from, from that point, you know, in terms of bringing it back to the coaching side of things, yeah. like that's obviously a very you know, relevant point in terms of what coaches can do to like teenagers. We have, and I said this to you maybe yesterday, Tony, like we have such particularly in the GA and in sport in general, our numbers skyrocket from young ages um, and start to plateau about, you know, your 12s, 13s, and, and then slowly begin to fall off a cliff, you know, once you get to 15, 16 years of age. And, and we're wondering why we don't have enough, you know, kids to field teams or they're not playing basketball, particularly in girls sport, you yeah. know, the huge dropout of numbers in those teenage years from something that they've obviously enjoyed hugely as younger kids, not all, but, but a lot of, um, and it's just to try and find ways as coaches, Tony, that, that we can, we can keep those kids playing sports, not, not for the coach's ego to win, but, but to just give them that positive kind of, you know, structure and, 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 and North star, I suppose, moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there's, I, there's lots of people much more qualified than I am to comment on why the fall off. I'm supposed suppose there's loads of reasons, but I remember when we were running sore, that charity, we'd have training, like, so give that some context. We, we went into schools running programs on kind of, um, emotional agility, self-awareness. And we trained facilitators age 19 to 24 to run the programs. So it was a brilliant model. And we'd have training for these, but they start at 16. Then they go into the real training program at 18 when they left school. And then they'd be out on the road a year later. And I, I remember that challenge of that age, 15, 16, and them not showing up sometimes to training. Um, and when I stopped and looked at why aren't they showing up, it was usually when our training, and by this, I mean like, training on themselves, like their, their psychology and their story and how to be a facilitator, how to stand or control a room, how to, how to do all of that. And it was usually when our training had got stale. Mm. And so when our numbers of tra training dropped off a little bit, I'd go in, I'd sit on, in on the training because I wasn't doing it myself any longer. And I used to say, our trainings, it's got no heart, no punch. Teenagers are looking for punch. They're looking for uh, kind of unknown. What's going to happen here? Anything, anything might happen. So it's almost like a particular type of approach for a coach when they're teenagers that they change it up. It doesn't become predictable. Maybe the session ends after half an hour and they sit around on the, on the grass and have a chat about life. You know, they just change it up. And that's where if I was tra training a, teen a teenage team now, knowing what I know, having worked with teenagers, I'd make sure that they never knew what was coming next. Mm. Like some, some Tuesday evening, and this is where it takes bravery. Some Tuesday evening when there's training, 
you actually have a bus waiting and you go bowling, but they don't know about it. They don't know it's coming. Mm-hmm. That will keep them coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think it's 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 one of the most difficult things for coaches is to is to figure out what it is that that the audience needs, like and what yeah. what they want. And and that that age group is just it's too easy for kids to just walk away from from sport, no matter what whatever sport it is, and and to keep to keep finding different things, like you say, just to just to just to keep pulling them back in, basically. And one one of the things I that you know I I learned the Harvard because I I remember going to to Melbourne to do a bit of facilitation training and I, I noticed the facilitator who was doing all the training was brilliant at picking out individual things about people rather than that was a great piece of work you did there like you might have to get up and there'd be actors in the room and they'd come up with a scenario like I'm going to I, I'm going to go home and kill myself like that actually might be a scenario you'd have to talk them through that. And I, 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 often, I noticed the guy doing the whole training was very good at giving, not just that was great. He'd give a particular piece of praise. And afterwards, you know, I got to know him. We became very, very close friends. And I said, remember that? How did you do that? He goes, I went home and I sat down and I put everyone's name down. And I thought about what's particularly their signature strength. What's that kid's gift, that facilitator's gift? Let's say kid. What's that kid's gift? What are they bringing no one else has? And I started bringing a little bit, building a picture on each of them. So when I went in the next day, I saw it then. And I looked for it and I and I I reminded them of what they were doing. So if a kid had a great sense of humor and when it was too tense, they'd tell a joke that would lighten the whole place. I'd say, you know what, man, I've noticed something about you. And he'd be like, you're really, really good at that, aren't you? When a room needs to breathe and it's got too serious, you're the guy that helps us out and keep bringing that. The kid, like all of a sudden just said, no one's ever noticed that about me. They, they usually said that was destructive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that, I know it's hard work for coaches. They have a lot going on. And, and even giving their time is brilliant. But if they really want to try and reach those teenagers um, or even little kids, put their name down and say, what's special about them? What does no one else see as a gift that they have that's seen as destructive or like that girl doing the pirouettes? You know, it's amazing that you're able to do that. You know, maybe you'd show us. Maybe the next drill is you show us how mm-hmm. to do all that. Exactly. You yeah. celebrate their gifts. Huge. Yeah, huge. I would have looked at a lot of Tony at, at, at autonomy support and really trying to trying to help um you know create a kind of an environment where people are their autonomy is being serviced more because it is such a big impact on on their motivation to keep yeah. coming when people exactly. feel that they're they they are individuals and they have choices to make and and they have ownership over the whole thing. And again, we can do that from under eights or or, yeah. or ninety eight, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter, and yeah. and it is a big one for coaches, you know, because you know, like the club I'm from, Ballet, they've won four of the last eight um, hurling championships in Clare. Now we were a junior club, then we were an intermediate club, and then we we bobbed up and down from senior and senior B. Now they now they have Tony Kelly and gifted players, but they're much more than just Tony. And when I look back to where did all that start, it was a guy called Eddie Lady. He was a national school teacher principal in our national school but he also trained all the hurling teams but he he just praised 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 and he was different coaching than he was when he was in school when he was in school he was a headmaster but when he was training he was almost benign he just you didn't even notice he was there mm. Mm. Um, and now if you look at any of those players like we two players nominated for all-stars this year with Claire um they talk about Eddie Liddy right they talk about their coach when they were 12 and 13. Tony Kelly still talks about him. I talk about it. Um, and even though he was our headmaster, he made the games good crack. And he was like, you almost didn't notice he was there. And so we were probably unruly as hell, but there was something in that. 
Like, isn't there? There's something where the coach isn't even noticed. <clears throat> well, like you, you just made that point now twice in the last 30 seconds that you wouldn't even know he was there. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of it is, is, is maybe the coach not being the centerpiece of, of mm. every session mm. or not trying to be the centerpiece of every session yeah. that you, you allow, you allow the games to be the teacher and that you're allowing the kids to, yeah. to, to run a little bit more and you're giving them more ownership over yeah. the whole thing. And yeah. at least, you know, like leadership, Tony, I, I've, I've leadership wrote down there. You mentioned it earlier, like, like creating leaders. Everybody wants to have leaders in their team. And, mm. but you can't just start creating leaders when they're, when they're 25, 26, 35 years of age, you, you have to start that obviously when they're 10, 11, 12 years of age and, and, and try and try and help them along that, you know, um, what, what have you got Tony in that, in that kind of, uh, you know, what, what would you have seen that, that helps in that kind of an area? In just building their sense of leadership. Yeah. 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 Well, for, firstly, it goes back to the environment. Like you've got to have an environment where they feel that their contribution is valuable. Mm. So it's like, it's asking questions. And, um, you know, there's a very good thing called Accidental Diminishers. It's a book called um, Accidental Diminishers. And it's people who are well-intentioned, but they accidentally diminish people. So they talk too much. They answer the question without waiting for someone to answer it. Um things like that. And, and so getting like, when I came into Kerry this year, I was surprised by the amount of guys who weren't used to talking out loud in a group, people would look around and that's, that, that's, that's the norm, by the way, it's not, in it. but as a coach, imagine a coach say, okay, we need to figure something out. Like for a seven year old say, we need to figure something out. I don't have the answer to this. How could we, how could we have our best session ever tonight? What, what might that look like? And then you stop talking. Now they'll, and then, just maybe you get a tiny bit. And often parents come to me and say, my teenager won't talk to me as much. And I said, give me an example. Well, I'm coming home in the car and I'm telling them about my day and I'm asking them about their day. And I said, they don't want to know about your day. And they don't want to talk about their day. Yeah, but all they do is look out the window. That's okay. But it makes me uncomfortable. But it's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. And so like the way teenagers talk is they talk in very short sound bites. So a conversation two adults would have is too much talking for them. They talk in little short rapid shopping. So you, 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 with, with a player, say, for example, if you're coaching a teenager, it might be as simple as how was your week been grand? Great. Nice one. You don't, then you move on. You're not looking for too much. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a bit of a roundabout way about leadership, but getting leaders, getting them comfortable early using their voice. But and 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 well, to, you said it there, Tony. Again, like the idea of asking questions. Yeah. Like for for me, it is the most underutilized coaching tool mm. in 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 the entire world. Yeah. Coaches coaches don't do enough of asking questions, and mm. and I say that including myself. Like we we're too quick to uh, volunteer the solution to show how smart we are, in instead of allowing the kids. Particularly, obviously, when you start getting older, people figure these things out and they know it before you even know it. But when you're asking a kid a question and you're allowing them the opportunity to actually formulate an answer, yeah. say what they're thinking. And not only then when they say, well, like you said, let's let's come up with the best session that we've come up with or we can come up with. If they come up and say, well, do you know what? We'd love to play a game of tag here or we'd love to play a game of chasing. And then you say, okay, th thanks for that. We're going to do a drill here for five yeah. minutes. Now, now you're killing, you're, you're, you're absolutely killing that idea yeah. of creating leaders. You've yeah. got to follow through then and, and say, okay, well, we're going to yeah. pick one of those things and we'll go with that, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Because again, back to where's the one place in their life 
an adult we ask them a question and really want to know the answer yeah and 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 not like because it's school and it's you're being it's curriculum but just for whatever like you could ask the question what's the best like okay before we get started a really important question what's the best movie you've ever watched and they're like uh and then there's consternation for a few minutes it's not about the question it's Mm -hmm. like moby dick isn't a book about a whale you know it's yeah the questions you're asking are to build their their emotional muscle and their confidence in their own point of view so sometimes you could ask a question about a game and um and it can be like what do we do well in that first half and it doesn't matter what what the answer is but what matters is they're becoming used to talking and using their voice because i guarantee there's nowhere else in their life probably their adults are interested in their opinion Mm-hmm. That's yeah, thinks they have the answer. Yeah, that, that that's a really. I think that's a really important uh, point, Tony. The question it's not actually about the question. No, the question is only the vehicle for them to become comfortable building um, a sense of confidence in themselves and their mm-hmm. voice and their opinion and being shown that they matter here. Mm-hmm. That would mean they'll feel more belonging here. That means they're going to keep coming more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the knock on, like you said awesome. that that sense of belonging and the knock-on effect that has on, on, on motivation and, yeah. and how if I'm motivated to keep doing something, I'm going to keep doing it because I enjoy it and it's fun. And yeah. I just, like, if, if there was nothing else, Tori, I would love, I would love just for coaches to go out there and just their next session and just go asking questions. Think yeah. about it. You have to think about the questions you're going to ask, obviously. Yeah. You're not, you can't just completely throw random stuff. Yeah. But asking questions is such a powerful vehicle and yeah. you just articulated that really, really, I think, very well, you know. And, and you know, for adults, very often we're coming from work or we're logic. We're very much in our left brain much of the time because we have to be with families and all the rest of it. So very often what I tell myself, even when I'm working with players, is that three, ask three questions and give three compliments. Like, I know it sounds very simple, but if you're going to train, you said, okay, I'm going to ask three questions tonight. What three questions am I going to ask? Um, I guarantee you, your brain will get switched on to start to find more questions you want to ask. And you say, geez, I've actually six questions I want to ask tonight, next week. Yeah. And in other things, find three people that you're going to focus on. Now, obviously, you'll be doing it with more, but find three people that you know that there's more in them and be like a, be like a heat-seeking missile for when they do something positive and compliment them. So, geez, Mike, I love the way you nod your head when, I, when, I, when I'm speaking. It really makes me feel you value. Now, that's an example, but you'd be saying, Johnny, geez, I love the way you went around that corner every time. That's great. But catch you them, catch them doing that. something good. Catch them and, and catch them and in advance think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to single out Johnny, Mary and Joaquin tonight. <laughs> what, 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 what are they good at? And you're driving a long train and you might jot it down before you leave the car. And then you're looking for it. And we do have a part of our brain. It's the reticular activating system. It will look for those things. Mm. It's like when you want to buy a, a, a bright blue Mercedes, you start seeing them. They were always there. You just yeah. didn't give them value. Same with kids and comp. Mm. Yeah, those cars are everywhere, didn't they? Everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah. Just saw one go past the window. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, Tony, just maybe pushing it back up because obviously people will be will be interested to... You know, obviously you were with Dalo with the Dubs and, and Kildare and, and Kerry now. And you mentioned there earlier just a growth mindset. For mm. people maybe that aren't, uh, that wouldn't maybe be overly familiar with what that kind of concept means, particularly as you get, you know, to, to your more elite level sport. Mm. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? What do you mean by, by, by growth mindset? Well, for, for different players, it's different things. It's, 
in terms of a mindset, it's the mindset of possibility of we're not there yet, but we're on the road to there. So it could be like, we're trying this defensive. It's so many applications, Michael. It mm. could be like, we're trying this defensive thing and we're not quite there yet. But lads, when we get there, we will know it. We'll feel it. And so it's 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 encouraging um, daily approximation to a worthwhile goal. And a worthwhile goal might be, you know, it could be anything really, but it's a mindset of possibility. I'm not there yet, but I'm on the way. Now, what, what are the steps to get there? So you're focused. We talk about it's process versus outcome. Mm-hmm. When you break process down, it's what am I doing today that gets me closer to the thing that means something to me? Yeah. <clears throat> and as as equally, and I and I obviously mentioned kind of more elite level stuff, but it's it's probably as as relevant to to kids or yeah. you know the first question that your mom or dad asks you after after a game did you win did you yeah. score yeah 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 you know focusing on those outcomes as opposed to maybe yeah. your attitude how hard did you work how yeah. you know um yeah. reframing reframing i suppose that that whole idea is is exactly. is what a growth mindset is right yeah exactly and and uh, you you've said it you've nailed it um it's it's after the game saying um how like how did you feel when you were under pressure in the game? How did you feel? Like it, basically, the thing that's interesting about working with intercounty players uh, that I find now is since 2013, when I was with Dalo to 2022, the consciousness of players has improved. Like it's they've become more conscious and more self-aware. There's more, they're just like, and I saw it in schools from 2012 when I started, 29 when I finished, 2019. They you could see the boys, especially, had become more self-aware and and more more able to talk about whatever they were feeling at a certain time i really noticed it and i've noticed it with this current group of say intercounty players so I, i'd say most managers can take more risks with them and um, they, they know more than they're letting on the players do mm. and the managers can take a risk with that and work with <clears> the whole person more that's the big thing i've learned the more you work with a whole person in your day-to-day training the more belonging they'll feel so get interested in where are the areas in their life that they're thriving and where are the areas in their life where things aren't going so good. Like they're, you know, get interested in them. Like this, this, the day of I coach you and you're over there and then we go back to our own lives. I really think that life is gone. I think coaches now are almost like in the old, especially for young men, I suppose, like in the old days, the young men were sent to a, like a shaman or sent to, and, and bear with me with this because it's a shaman, but like young boys were sent to go through a rite of passage mm-hmm. to become men. I think in some ways, coaches now are that. Right. There's an opportunity to bring a lot of young fellas into being good men, like into being men that would be comfortable to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And you can still have the crack with all of that. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it's they're not mutually exclusive. They're so combined. But if I was a, if I, I suppose as coaches, and it's easy for me to say this, I'm not responsible for all of it. But the work I do with the players, it's not sports psychology. It's it's who are you? What do you, what do you deeply care about? How are you different to everyone else in this group? Um, where are your areas you don't you don't feel comfortable in life? And um, how do you feel about yourself? You know, even if you're a David Clifford or you're a whoever, how do you feel about where you, what wakes you up at night? What do you worry about? Like there are questions as coaches you could be asking, is everything going good for you? How's school? Like, is there anything I can help you with? Mm-hmm. Again, if people feel you're, you care about them, they'll mm-hmm. care more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I went uh, off an awful time. No, 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 no. That's, 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 yeah, that's the goal, Tony, there. And I mean, <clears throat> it still goes back to like, you're, you're asking questions. 
Yeah. You're you're asking questions is the is the <clears throat> is the primary it's nearly the primary thing. It's 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 to ask more questions and to to pontificate and and uh, yeah. and give the answers less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that idea of of caring for fellas outside of what they do on the pitch, I think, is has definitely become an awful lot more prevalent. Tony, like when yeah. when you were when I was playing, <laughs> like you know, there wasn't a whole pile of you know how's work going for you or yeah, yeah. how's college going yeah. i heard this happened or that happened yeah. it was what can you do for me on a tuesday and a thursday and a yeah. saturday and if you can't do something for me you know unfortunately you know you're not going to be a part of it or whatever you, you look at like in uh, any of the professional sports especially in the u.s like the coaches are agile enough i'm not saying bill belichick wanted to know how did your baby sleep last night you know i'm sure, yeah. I'm sure he didn't care that much but i'd say he was wise enough to know that I, I, if I want these guys to max out on their potential, I need to understand that they're not just an athlete. They're mm-hmm. more than that. There's other facets and domains to their life that I'm not going to be their dad, but I can care enough to, to know that if that's, if that's solid in a guy's life, then he will perform better on a Sunday because he's not losing energy during the week worrying about other things. Um, and that's a massive opportunity for coaches because you're going to change a lot of young fellas' lives. You're mm-hmm. going to young girls. Because you're going to you're you're going to be that place in their life where they come to when the rest of their life is where the storm is is raging. Um, like there's a book, Humble Inquiry. It's a really simple book, but it's brilliant because it it shows you about the importance of inquiry, of being curious, of just asking questions. And, and it's funny thing is, a lot of the things you want to achieve, you will get there easier. You won't all be about you. You won't have to figure it all out. They'll figure it out mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, you ask some good questions. And the net benefit of it is you're 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 allowing them to to become leaders and to and to to have that sense of autonomy where it is a yeah. place where they're they're valued and their opinion matters and and all that good stuff that that comes with that. Then it's a it's a really really powerful thing. Far away from you know, I'm sure in the next few episodes I'll be talking about games based coaching and I'll be talking about mm. games versus drills and all that stuff is important, obviously, and the content of the sessions. Oh. You know, it, it matters hugely. But from 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 your context in terms of like you mentioned, you know, about being person centric and you mentioned the people at the at the center of it, that's that's kind of the key, the key thing. You know, that that concept of the, the person before the player is is yeah. probably the most relevant point. Yeah, because it's like how are you being while you're doing, while you're doing all those those drills, how are you being? Like how are you with them when you walk into the, the dressing room? Um how like it's just they're a group. And a group, they're in a group because they want to belong and, and achieve some personal goals. But there's such a great opportunity there for coaches to, you'll enjoy it more. Mm. And there's a, a sense of it. And like our personality types are interesting because if you're building a coaching ticket or a coaching group, you need to make sure you have people who aren't you on it. Mm. I mean that in personality. So like if you're quite a serious person because you're an introvert or your life experience has me- meant you've you've held a lot of responsibility and there wasn't a lot of room for, for laughs and jokes. Okay, that's fine. That's important. You wouldn't have got to where you are otherwise. Make sure there's someone on your coaching group that is light, that's mm-hmm. not like you, that's extrovert, that balances the energies because he'll relate to the extroverts in the group more than you will. And then between you, you'll be a great group. Like I look at you guys and uh, like the carry management and you're a great match. You're a great energetic balance. Um, and so you can like your personality, the lads are are mad about you because you've done it. Every, you've done everything, but you come in like it's your first day at school uh, <laughs> wanting to learn. And, you know, you're interested in everything. And 
you're not slow to throw your opinion in the ring. And that's that's so valuable because the players are are seeing what's allowed in the room and they're going to model that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's important, Tony, whether it's inter-county or, or again, and, and I know I keep going back to the younger age groups, but... Yeah. Uh, like because everybody looks at what's into and it, uh, particularly you know Kerry winning All Ireland or Dublin winning All Ireland or whoever winning All Ireland and and everything automatically that they had done has to be brilliant and has to be yeah. right and that's not necessarily always the case you know you yeah. obviously have coaches that are coaching at different levels and managing at different levels who could be doing an absolutely fantastic job and doing a lot yeah. of the stuff that you're sp- speaking about and maybe not necessarily getting the results but results in a different way in terms of keeping those people playing, yeah. you know, keeping them involved in sport and all the positivity that comes with that. Uh, and then the, and then the inter-county stuff obviously is great. And, and, and we're operating it at what's the top of the tree right now. And with some of the best footballers that are around, obviously. And so you're looking for the, the small, the small gains, I suppose, as opposed to the massive gains that can be made below that. Exactly. Exactly. Like one of the things that it's really interesting is you have a real grow and fascination with um, coaching young people and kids and participation. Where where has that come from? Like, uh, well, I, that age group, or did you have did you have a negative experience that you thought about? No, no, I never never had a negative experience, really, Tony. I I I just I just think that we could. As coaches, I think, like and you mentioned it earlier, I think you have a really big opportunity to impact people's lives. Mm. You know, and I know this might be sounding a bit. No, no, you do. Whatever. Like if you if you think of a coach who's 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 got maybe twenty or thirty kids, and mm. and he's you know or she is providing like a great environment. Maybe they're not the greatest technical coach, and maybe yeah. they won't have the exact technique, but they may foster an absolute love for whatever game it might be. Yeah that will keep them coming back and enjoying it and, and staying involved in a club and having that sense of belonging. Maybe they're not a coach themselves. Maybe they become an administrator for the club. It's just about, I think you can, you can really create a, a, a positive community from, yeah. from a really powerful coach. Like you, you mentioned uh, about guys who are still citing, uh, you know, the coach, um, his name's gone from my head, Tony. Sorry, Eddie Liddy, yeah. Eddie Liddy, who, who, and you said you mightn't even notice he's around the place, but you still talk about him 20, yeah. 30 years later yeah. because he impacted your life in a, in a really positive yeah. way. And I think that's the opportunity that, that we have as coaches, particularly at the underage stuff. Of course, it's cool to be involved with the, the elite sport and that's yeah. really exciting and challenging. But I, I just think it's a really powerful place to be operating it with, with kids and teenagers as well, you know? Yeah, massively. It's, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's funny, like having worked with so many people over the years, like athletes, teenagers, and then like business people. Like I remember the CEO of this like global business saying that he still feels like an imposter. And like you use his business every day. I do. And here he was saying he still feels like an imposter. And so like, I think what I've learned is what you see, what people show you isn't what's going on underneath. There's so much more, much more going on. But the personas we with the masks we wear is is our best is our best job to fit in and get the job done. So as a coach, if you think about that, you think, okay, so there's actually the the kids I'm coaching. There's so much more going on behind there. My job is to create an environment where they don't need the mask. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're they can just come and be as they are. And if I do that, they will flourish. Mm-hmm. And then we will add little skills along the way and techniques and all the rest of it. But they will have a hunger for this thing because, and they won't even remember where they got it. Yeah, they'll just know. I I used to like like. There's a great saying in education, and it's so true. Like 
people will forget what you said, what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. You know, we've all heard it. How do you make your kids feel? Do you make them feel like they belong? Do you make them feel like they matter? And if you do, they will they will remember you. Mm-hmm. You're setting them up for life beyond sport. Do we always do it? No. As a parent, do I always do it? No. But we can we can we can have that as our north star and work towards it. Mm. It's it's gas. I actually I, I put up I, I often put up the as you've seen you've seen a lot of them, Tony. I, I, I love them. These I little videos, man. I, I enjoy it because I think there's such there's great learning in some of them, you yeah. know. But I actually threw up one uh, only this morning on um uh, it, drive it's, home the drive home. Oh. Like and and like my my two I've I've twin boys obviously and I have a small girl and I was I was bringing the two boys home from a basketball game during the week and they were well beaten in this game and like yeah. they're they're eleven like you know they're just eleven and they love basketball loved basketball and I would have played a lot of basketball obviously and yeah. and I do I do my very best like not to you know they have a, a coach who's brilliant and he's brilliant with them and they're they're they love going uh, and I do my best not to you know. To chime in or to tell them to do this mm. and tell them I really I'm I'm I'm, I'm suppressing you know uh, an instinct yeah. to kind of try and help them in that way no we help but we don't we don't coach uh but we got into the car the last day and like they were t- they were both down you know they lost and whatever and I was it took everything it took everything I had to just not start kind of going well I don't know about this year and yeah. I asked about their attitude like I asked them to give me a number out of 10 for for their attitude that that's our that's about all we get into in, in the thing um, how hard did you compete? How hard did you work? You know, were you encouraging your teammates? Um, you know, and if if and if the if that's a low number, then we can try and improve on it. But yeah. I, I do everything in my power to stay away from actually getting into the nuts and bolts of the game. And that video, that video I put up this morning about the drive home, like is is just you can see how it, the stats says something like seventy percent of kids, you know, pack up sports by the time yeah. they get to high schools in the states, like seventy percent only. Like yeah. that is. That is an incredible number, and even if that's inflated a little bit for the for the purpose of the video, it's still a really really high video, a high number because of the kind of stuff that goes on in, yeah. in cars with coaches and, yeah. and parents and stuff. It's just mad. And I know we said we talked about yesterday about ego, and I was saying it's like ego could stand stand for edging greatness out. You do edge their greatness out when it becomes about you. Because mm. the video that man was obviously that was about his anxiety, his sense of how his son reflected on him. It was about him. And yeah. so when it's about us, we're, 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 we're focused on the wrong thing. It's yeah. about say, always- say, that, say that again there, Tony. Is, it was uh, the, the bit about his, his, his kid reflecting on him. Say that again. Yeah. So obviously reading between the lines, he said he was saying like you, you were more interested in playing with your friends than you mm. weren't playing the game. In so, at some level, that father was his own self of self-worth and identity. Okay. He, he was being. He was. He. It was a reflection on him. I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So he was embarrassed by his that his child wasn't a high performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. I get that. So it's very often just about managing our own anxiety as a parent, as a managing our own sense of what we think is the reason, and go back to the questions you're asking and go back to growth mindset for just one second is mm-hmm. that's a growth mindset question you asked because a growth mindset question doesn't have a finite point. Okay. It's zero to 10, but effort mm-hmm. doesn't have a boundary. Mm-hmm. How many points you scored is, is yeah. a fixed question. How many points you score? Mm-hmm. Oh, but how, how hard did you work? Do you feel when your team was under pressure it, that you can always work on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, I, I'm conscious of the time now, man, and 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 uh, 
again, I'm delighted that that you took the time to come on because I think there was a lot of a lot of good stuff. I, I, I again, I apologize for looking down there. I have about three pages of oh, notes, course. three oh, pages good. of notes written, man, and I'll have to listen back and and uh, and put it all together. If there was if there was one thing, Tony, just to finish off with one one point to to put it all into a small little box for us, Tony. What 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 is one of the things that you would for coaches at any level? What what's some of the just one point to wrap it up that you think is a is a really powerful thing to take away from this? Um, I think one thing with kids, one thing with kids is just know you don't know what type of homes are coming from. You don't know the environment they're coming from. You don't know what their classroom is like as an environment and how that makes them feel. So why don't you decide that the environment you're going to create is one where A, they feel belonging, two, they feel joy, and three, they feel that they're they're valuable. And you, you have the potential to make that one environment, the one environment they love coming to. And tr- just tr- try things out. There's no failing with kids if your intentions are right. So try things out with them to make it that type of environment. Remember what they're good at. Tell them when you see it and make an environment where, where there's loads of questions because you don't have all the answers. That's one for kids. Jeez, that's that's a good one, Tony. That was a nice that was a nice little little wrap up. I had something I had something else written down there about uh Dalo and and uh yeah. and Jack, but I I'll I'll leave it off. I would have done I would have done a bit of stuff with Dalo and the Examiner podcast oh, yeah. times. Yeah. Great fellow, isn't he? He's he's uh, he's a he's a different character, isn't he? Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Again, growth mindset. And, and, and you know, he's very little judge. Teenagers can smell judgment, as I was saying earlier. Dale is great in that, you know, he just he just loves life. He loves people. And I remember James O'Connor saying he could have a conversation with a guy sweeping the streets or an astrophysicist and reach yes. his level. It's <laughs> so yes. true. Yes. And Jack similar. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure if Jack could talk to the astrophysicist. He tried though. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> Tony, thanks a million again, man. I appreciate Pleasure. the time. Um and for everybody listening, guys, yeah, if you have enjoyed that, obviously there will be a link in the podcast description below where you can contribute to Recovery Haven, who are a uh, provide free cancer support services for the people in Kerry. Uh, and every cent will be going to a very worthy cause. So, Tony, thanks again, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike.